0: I've had the wonderful privilege to be a teacher in the body of Christ now for close to 30 years and I remember well starting out on this journey learning all of the many truths of the Bible in fact let me hasten to say I'm still learning all the truths of the Bible and I'm not sure ten lifetimes would be enough for me to really discover the depth that's in the Word of God And that's a big temptation for us as teachers or preachers in the body of Christ is we feel like we we need to know it all, we need to preach on it all, and of course we need to be well familiar with the full counsel of God's word. But um, so many of us can just fall prey to that temptation to to speak on this a little bit, speak on that a little bit, and as it were, jump all over the scriptures and not really mine the depths in a particular truth or a topic. For me, I have refrained from jumping all over the Bible all of the time. And I have honed in on a few things that for me have had a drastic impact on my personal walk with God. And among the many themes that I do embrace and I do speak and preach on, the the greatest theme that is dearest to my heart is the theme of the life of God inside of a human being. Nothing thrills me more than to have students come to my school and open up the scriptures with them and just read to them these passages on the life of God in them and then to connect dots for them a little bit so that they can see that the Bible has um, a-, a cohesive message when it comes to the life of God. And the message is not just that we're going to go to heaven and then experience the life of God. But the dots connect in such a way that we can even experience that life of God while we're living on this earth. And I tell you again, when uh, students sit around me, even adults, and I get to just connect these dots for people and watch the picture of of life form in their mind and in their hearts afresh, it it just... It exhilarates me, and that's what you're going to experience in this teaching. This is a a teaching that I ministered a very, very long time ago, and I have a few folk around me, and I'm just having them go from passage to passage, and I'm highlighting a couple of nuanced thoughts about the life of God in them. And I want you to notice how beautifully these passages are actually integrated. There's uh, a few in Genesis that I want to tackle. There's uh, a beautiful passage in Ezekiel that I want to tackle. And then um, some in the New Testament and closing it up in the book of Revelation. The gist of it is this. When God made the man Adam. God, the scriptures would say in Genesis 2, God breathed into him the breath of life. And I'm going to capitalize on that, that out of the bosom of God comes breath. Out of the innermost being, the core of God, if you will. God did not, as it were, just give him a truth or an obligation. God breathed his very being into Clay. And there was this divine nature of God, as it were, that came into, you know, clay, Adam being red, earthy clay. And there is this joining of God and man. And that was the very first thing that God did with a human being, is to cause him to live. And then, of course, God gave him a mandate to multiply, to to guard the garden, to till it, to produce, to eat from this tree, don't eat from that tree. But if you read it carefully in its context, you'll see that before he was to do all of these things for God, Adam became alive with something that came out of the belly of God. And that's... The thread that I want to pull throughout the scriptures is that a man and a woman who walks with God is not just a person who does a lot for God, but it's a person who hosts almighty God in him. And that is a theme that I highlight a lot in my ministry and I watch people come from around the world and when they learn that eternal life is not just a place in heaven that we go to when we die, but eternal life has come into us from the belly of God through the work of Jesus Christ through the application of the Holy Spirit oh people's hearts just enlarge their consecration in God deepens and their walk with God picks up purpose uh, picks up rhythm picks up intentionality and I hope it does the same for you in this teaching all I'm gonna do is what I did a long time ago is sit down with folk, open up the scriptures a little bit, connect a couple of dots, and all the while drive home this one thought. Almighty God wants to live by his breath inside of you and I. I hope this, I hope this message uh, stirs you to dig a little bit deeper into the scriptures regarding this theme of life, and I, I hope you can spend some time to appreciate the breath of God within you. Father, we are so thankful to be alive today. Thank you that we are alive in our bodies, what a blessing, what a gift we've received um, from our parents to have this human life. But all the more, Lord, we want to thank you this morning that we have divine life within us, a life that is not of the flesh, not of my parents, a life that is not of this earth. It's a life that is not supplied by the stuff of this earth, it is from the heavens, And we want to thank You for that, Lord. Thank You that God lives in me today. The Lord is alive and well in me today. Even though, God, You're in the heavens, even though the Lord is seated in the heavenly places, I thank You, Lord, that You are real to me today because of the Spirit that lives inside of us. And we just welcome You, precious Lord. We just welcome You. In fact, let's just lift up our voice, say, Lord, you're welcome. You're welcome. We just make room for you today. We present our bodies, Lord, as a temple. Here we are, God. Thank you that you fill us. Thank you that you supply us. Thank you that you're in us and not distant. We just are so glad, Lord, that we can be one with God in this very hour. And we just breathe you deep and drink you deep in a fresh way. And I pray, Lord, that You would flood into us revelation in this morning. In Jesus' name, Lord, speak to us, enlighten us. Lord, show us from the Scripture what the economy of God is. And Lord, show us how to live in that and partake of it and move in it and have our entire being governed by it. We bless You today, Lord. We bless You, Lord Jesus. Amen. Alright, so, from your sketch, life is at the central of all of God's dealings with you. And I submit to you that if life is not the source nor the supply, culture will be. And as a son of God and as a daughter of God, we do not live by the influence of this earth. Otherwise, Paul would say, we are worldly. John would say, we are in love with the world. And you and I have actually been redeemed out of the world. And even though we live in this world and two feet fully grounded upon this earth, you and I are people no longer under the influence and the domination of this earth. That is, culture should not be stronger in me than heaven. That is, the mind of this world ought not to be stronger in me than the mind of God. Because we were born not of this earth, we were born of the heavens. We were inbreathed from above. In John's Gospel, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus that which is born of the flesh is flesh. You're born of your parents, you're sure to resemble some aspect of your parents, and some aspect of their influence and their education. But you and I have been born of the Spirit. Therefore, we resemble the Spirit. And the Spirit lives inside of us. And the Spirit dispenses and supplies life to us. And that's what I want to tackle this morning. What is this flow of life on the inside? What is this river, this fountain, this tree that we so-called ate, the tree of life, what is this experience of life on the inside of us? Because it affects the entirety of my Christian life. If I don't live by this indwelling Lord and by this indwelling Spirit, if I don't live by this indwelling life supply and provision, if I don't live by heaven inside of me, I will live by the dictates of the earth. I will live by the fluctuations of culture and the fad and the norms of culture. I will live by the persuasion of culture. I'll even live, like we learned a little earlier, doing everything that is right in my own eyes. And that is not how we want to live. God has an economy, God has a kingdom, and He's already set up the perimeters of His kingdom. He has set up the the guidelines, the way that we will live and move and conduct ourselves in this kingdom. And then he invites us and he says, If you want to come into this kingdom, the gate is very, very small. And the way, straight and very, very constricted. We don't come into this kingdom the way we think it is right. Just as much as Moses did not build the tabernacle the way that he thinks it's best. He built the tabernacle according to the pattern in the heavenlies. So that as it is in the heavenlies, it would be reflected and manifested on this earth. So we ask the question, why the book of Leviticus with so much detail? Well, so that nothing was left to Moses or Aaron's imagination. Everything was regulated, everything was prescribed, so that man don't invent a kind of a life before God. God Himself is that life. God is the standard. God is the kingdom. God is the one that has created a constitution and said, This is my economy. This is how we will live the Christian life just as much as he spoke to Israel. This is how you will be my nation and be regulated as a people by me. So everything is of God. Everything is through God. And everything is for God. So now we ask the question, how do we live the Christian life? We live it by an indwelling Lord, who Himself is the standard. The supply upholds everything. He's the beginning. He's the way. He's the end. He's the absolute all-inclusive everything to life and godliness. We want to learn to take a hold of that indwelling life. And I tell you, you, take a hold of life. Fellowship is easy. You take a hold of life, illumination comes naturally. Well, spiritually, that is. But it, 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 it comes organically, it's not forced. You take a hold of life, the character of God is quite spontaneously built into us. Because life puts the holiness of God, the glory of God into us. We take a hold of life on the inside, that breath of God that breathes in us. And the work of Jesus is as real today as it was yesterday for James and John and Peter, Andrew, Andrew. We take a hold of life today, and walking in the Spirit is not a big deal. Walking in the Spirit is not reserved for a select few out there. Walking in the Spirit becomes the normal Christian life for you and I. And yes, we blow it, but that life will minister forgiveness to us. That life in us ministers grace to us. That life in us ministers faith again. In fact, everything for life and godliness is in the Spirit who is the Lord who is life to you. I want to briefly give you a quick overview of the Bible again. In Genesis chapter 2, there is the creation of God. And we saw there in chapter 1 the Spirit of God hovering over the very chaotic, negative, dark situation of the judged and fallen earth at that time. And why is the Spirit hovering? To bring forth the economy of God, not the economy of Satan. We see there that God created, there in chapter 1. Then Satan distorts and hides and confuses and muddles all of what god made then we see in verse 3 there chapter 1 god hovers and speaks let there be light and the spirit is there to manifest the burden of god the heart of god the mind of god the wisdom of god the purposes of god the spirit is the one that realizes. That's why in John's Gospel he's called the spirit of reality. The Father wishes it, the Father wills it, and the spirit executes. So in a way we can say that Father God is the one with the agenda. God as spirit is the one with the application of it all. So the spirit is there hovering. God's burden is light. The Spirit dispenses light. God's burden is separation, cutting, dividing. The Spirit is there to cut and divide and separate. God's burden is that grass would come forth and herbs would come forth. God's burden is that there would be multiplication. Herbs that yield and trees that produce This is the heart of God. Increase. And it's by the power of the Spirit hovering over this very negative situation that everything becomes divided. Things become manifested. Things find their increase by the Spirit of the living God. We see that the Spirit there, again in chapter 1, puts life in the sky, in the air. Life is manifested through birds. We see that life is manifested on this earth through animals and animals. Every possible creeping thing. And the diversity thereof. It's as though God puts a testimony of life here on the earth. But not only that. God puts a testimony of life under the earth. In the oceans. In the sky. Life. On the earth. Life. Under the earth. In the seas. Representing death. He puts fish. Teeming. Multiplying the testimony of life. So the Spirit is there to dispense, constantly give life to everything. And as it were, manifest the heart of God in it all. We come to Genesis chapter 2. God's going to single out Man, as the manifestation of the heart of God, it says there in verse 7 Jehovah God formed man from the dust of the ground, dust. Jehovah God made man from dirt. You and I's bodies, no matter how much you paint and powder this thing, it is just washed dirt. Your body, as beautiful as it is, is just clay. And that's actually what the word Adam means. It means earth, clay, And more literally, red. And notice here carefully, in Genesis 2 verse 7, it says, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Where does breath come from? The inside of man. And somehow, from the inside of God, from the essence of God, from the inward parts of God, and of course we know that God is not a big human in the sky, we know that God is Spirit, but the picture here is from the inside of God, that is from the essence of God, from the heart of God, from the bosom of God, as it were, from the gut. From the inside, He breathes something, on the inside of man. And that breath is the breath of life. That clay is to manifest God. That earthy man is to express God. But how will he get up and actually walk out the expression of God? The secret is right here. God will breathe something from His inside into the inside of man. Man will breathe it in. And as it were, man becomes a living soul. So the Spirit of God does all of these many things in creation. And then comes into man in a way. The breath comes in. Something of the heaven mingles with something of the earth. Somehow God gave life to all the critters, all the beasts, all the birds, all the fish. But here, the life that man receives is something that's from the inside of God. It's a much deeper life. It's a much higher life. It's something actually of God. In the Genesis story, we have chaos and darkness, and waste, and emptiness. And then the Spirit of God is there hovering to bring about the heart and the purposes and the manifestation of God. And the highest manifestation of God is not birds, or the mountains, or the fish. It's man. And then you see here in the Gospels, you see that The situation is dark, there's a crucifixion, chaos, shaking, darkness. You remember those three hours just of of darkness on the earth? Same situation like there was in Genesis. Jesus Christ dies, chaos rules for three days and three nights. Mayhem, devils rejoicing, how he butchered the Son of God. Three days and three nights later, the Lord rises from the dead. And He appears to the disciples. And notice the story here, verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, And while the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood right there in their midst and He said, Shalom, peace be to you. And when He had said this, He showed them His hands and He showed them His side, the marks of the cross. The disciples therefore rejoiced at seeing the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, peace be to you, as the Father has sent me. Notice, I also am going to send you. It's just like the man there in Genesis. God wants that man to be sent into this earth. That man is to live and walk out the purposes of God. God is not the one walking this earth, man is the one. So God sends this man in Genesis. But how will this man live out the number of his days on this planet? By the breath of God. Is everybody with me? Here Jesus says to His disciples, all of you are going to go. You're going to spread and multiply and you're going to penetrate the darkness of this earth. I want all of you to express me, to manifest me, and I want through you The glory of God disseminated into this earth. But then notice here, how will these disciples who earlier ran from God, how this time will they be sent of God? The key is there in verse 22. And when He had said this, He breathed into them. He breathed into them, just like there in Genesis. God breathes into the man the breath of life. How will the man stand up and live for the Lord? By the inward breathing. Amen! Amen. And so the Lord said to them, He breathed into them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's the same story of Genesis. Repeat it. And we know now that the testimony of Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles, they went forth in the power of God, in the wisdom of God, in the manifestation of God. They went forth in the giftings of God. They went forth to pray. But just a few days earlier, they could not pray through the night. Now, every time we open up the book of Acts, they're praying. How do they pray? By the Spirit of God. Amen! Amen. On your sheet there, how will you fellowship with God? How will you and God walk with one another? By the indwelling Spirit. Yeah? The issue here is that God wants an ambassador in this earth. He wants man, man, to manifest the reality of God. Man is to walk in this earth exactly as God is governing in the universe. There's a partnership And in Genesis, He wants this man in His image. And He wants this man in His dominion. And He wants this man to spread and multiply and fill this earth. And He even says there in Genesis, He blessed the man. But how will the man live out this mandate, this calling? How will he live out the purposes of God? By the Spirit that is living on the inside. We have such a picture again there in Ezekiel 37. Briefly, let's go there. Ezekiel 37. We do not live the Christian life by do's and don'ts. We live it by an inward breath. If you don't live by the inward breath that supplies to you the issues of heaven in you, then surely you're going to make stuff up. You will live In the power of self's strength, the mind's imagination, you will become legalistic, you will become self-righteous. The way we live the Christian life is by an inward breathing. We don't make stuff up. That's why our prayer lives are boring, because we don't pray by the inward spirit. That's why the Bible is a closed book to us, because we don't read it by the inward life. That's why we can't figure God out, discern God, because we're not in the inward flow of life. I recall John chapter 3. Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you're not even going to see the things of the kingdom of God. That means unless we are born of the Spirit of God, breathed by the Spirit of God. We're not even going to see the work of God in this earth, the activity of God. We're not going to discern the mind of God. We're not going to see anything pertaining to the kingdom of God. And if you don't see the things of the kingdom of God, guess what? You're going to make it up according to traditions, customs, hearsay, culture, imagination. You're going to make up stuff according to your personality. Yeah? But if you are inbreathed by God, and we learn to touch the inward life, you'll find yourself spontaneously coming into the kingdom, and you'll start seeing the principles of the kingdom, the dynamics of the kingdom. And the dynamics of the kingdom is righteousness, and peace, and joy. And again in Corinthians, he says it's power. The issues of the kingdom is just Christ. And we live out the manifestation of God by the inward supply. Ezekiel gives us such a picture. Look at chapter 37. The hand of Jehovah came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of Jehovah. By the way, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jehovah here is the key issue to the book of Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel takes place in captivity. The Jewish people are in judgment. It's dark. It's chaotic. Just like in the beginning of Genesis, there's a dark situation, and the Spirit of God is right there, hovering, to move and bring a recovery, a restoration, a re-manifestation. We see the same thing here in in Ezekiel's time. They're out there in Babylon in captivity. The situation is dark. There's no temple. The worship of God is gone. People are in a death situation, and the Spirit of God is there to do something. So the Spirit of Jehovah, and He sat me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Oh, by the way, in our modern Christian vernacular, we talk about mountaintops and... Valleys, oh, I don't want to live in the valley. It's just hard. But I want you to notice where the Spirit of God is in the valley, in the darkness, in the chaos. Amen. Amen. We should not run from the valley because it's in that valley where the Spirit is hovering to do something. This is what's going to happen here. It says in that valley, it was full of bones. So we see man again. In Genesis, this picture of the dirt man. And he's going to be inbreathed of God. We don't find God breathing into cattle. Man is the issue. In the gospel narrative in John, Jesus breathes into people. The Spirit of God is here to do something for man. Verse 2, And He caused me to pass all around among them, and there were many on the surface of the valley, and they were also very dry. You know, when you say, oh, my walk with God is just so dry, you're describing Ezekiel 37. He saw you. Verse 3, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones, notice, live this is the burden of God that you may have, life. In the Genesis record, chaos is turned into the manifestation of life. In the Gospel record, that chaotic group of disciples, dead. The issue of Jesus is, can I make them live, breathe into them? Yes. I'm the resurrection and the life. It is the burden of God to breathe into people. Can these bones live? And I answered, Oh Lord, only you know. In other words, we've tried everything, but we can't make ourselves come alive. In other words, if anything in us is to live, God, only you are the one that's able to do this. Only you know if we can live again. There's nothing in me that can live the Christian life. Only you know how to live this, and only you know how to make me alive. Verse 4, And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord Jehovah to these bones, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. Come on, let's read that together. And the Lord Jehovah said to these bones, I will cause breath breath to enter into you, and you Shall. shall live. Amen. Here you see the picture of Genesis again. The man is laying on that ground. Dirt Dobbler that he is. And I want this man to live. There's a mandate on this man. I have a life and a purpose and a destiny for this man. But it's not that this man will figure it out by his own strength and imagination. I will cause him to live. And I will put my spirit, my breath, my life inside of him. And then Paul comes and he calls it the law of the spirit of life. This man will live out the calling of God by the power of God, by the life of God, not by religion. Verse 6. And I will put, notice who does the work, God. It's of Him, it's through Him, it's unto Him. I will put sinews on you. And I will bring flesh back on you. And I will cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall Live. Notice that word live again. Circle these words because a picture is forming here. It's really just the Genesis record again. And you will know that I'm Jehovah. How will we know that God is God? How do we come to know God, even in your sketch? How do we have revelation of who God is? By the indwelling breath. Now notice here in verse 6. God is the God of recovery. Like uh, the psalmist says there in Psalm 23, The Lord restores my soul. Anything and everything that has fallen in you and I, below the standard, waste, vacant, empty, confused, dark, deep. Remember those pictures in Genesis. How will you and I become clear confident and overcoming and victorious? How will we be recovered to the full purposes of God in our lives? By the Spirit of the living God. This is the picture. The Lord is the one of recovery. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. When the breath enters in, you and I find restoration quite organically. Deliverance, building, quite organically. On your sketch there, how do you fellowship with God? And just how does things come together for us? I tell you again, and I'll say this for the rest of the morning, By the indwelling Lord. And I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh came back, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, Prophesy to the wind, prophesy, Son of Man, and say to the wind, Thus says the Lord Jehovah, Come from the four winds, O breath and breathe on these slain, that they may live." It's all done by the breath of God. And so I prophesied as He commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Here you have a picture, again, that by the Spirit of the Lord, The man is raised, the men are raised, the whole nation of Israel is raised. We know this is prophetic of the people of God, the Israelites. But we can learn from this type that the recovery that they experienced was because of the indwelling life, the spirit, the breath. But here we see another hint. How will they live forwards? They will war. They're an army. How will they overcome? And have victory by the Spirit. And you and I have many things in this life to overcome. We have a lot. We war not against flesh and blood. We got powers and principalities and spiritual hosts and wickedness. All committed to your destruction. But the Spirit of God will lift up a standard against it. Yea, God. And make you an army. Make us a warrior. How will we overcome. All the negative situations of this earth. Even within us death is at work. My mind is corrupt and fallen. I'm so immersed in lies of the culture and the philosophies of the day. How will we become victorious? I tell you by the end. Dwelling Lord is everybody with me. Yeah, Yeah? do you see the picture and then I want you to notice verse 12 Therefore prophesy and say to them thus says the Lord Jehovah now I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of Your graves it's a type of resurrection when the Spirit of God comes into us your experience is resurrection. O oh, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Here is a restoration, here is a recovery. It is not by might, it is not by power, it's by the Spirit of the Lord that things are done. And you will know that I'm Jehovah. Again, how will we know God? But by the Spirit of God. You will know that I'm Jehovah when I open up your graves and bring you up out. Of your graves, O my people. And then verse 14. And I will put my spirit in you. And you shall live. The burden of God is not chaos and confusion. And darkness and uselessness. The burden of God is a man on this earth. That lives out the reality of heaven. A man on this earth that speaks for God. A man on this earth that wars with God. A man that's the standard amidst all the chaotic conditions of the age. And you shall live. We see that word over and over. Live, 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 live. And I will place you in your own land. Hallelujah. Saints, this is the burden of God that we live. But how do we live? By an indwelling breath. We war by that indwelling breath. We walk by that indwelling breath. We know God by the indwelling Spirit that gives life to us. The Lord is the giver of life. You think your issue is maybe a husband, or a wife, or a man, or that boss, or that circumstance. But the issue that God has concerned is that you receive life. Life will give you everything that you need to combat those issues. People who are alive and out of the grave can walk through the days of life and handle the affairs of life by the indwelling Lord. This is the picture here for Adam. It's the picture for the nation of Israel. It's the picture for the disciples. Flip back to John's Gospel chapter one. Verse four. In him was life. The heart of God is life. The purposes of God is life. In him is life. In him. So when he breathes out of His bosom, the breath of life. It's a picture that deep within God, life is the central issue. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Look at verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set before you life and death. Blessing and curse. In Matthew 7, Jesus speaks again of these two issues. The small gate, the narrow way, life. The broad, wide, big, glamorous gate. The gigantic road, death, destruction. It's why we say if the gate you're at is crowded, you're probably at the wrong gate. I place before you life and death, blessing and curse. Now, I want you to notice how kind God is in this verse here in Deuteronomy. Instead of letting the man just toss a coin as to which one he wants to choose and kind of make it up or reason it out it says here therefore choose life it's like God's giving us a hint hey um, there's death there's life there's this curse there's blessing oh by the way choose this one therefore choose life that you and your seed may live Now, the context here, of course, is obedience, following God, all those types of things. But the principle is, at the heart of God, there's life. Life. Turn to 1 John before we get to Revelation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. he who believes into the Son of God has the testimony in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony which God has testified concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Of all the many things God can give us, eternal life is predominant. And then verse 12, He who has the Son has the life. It's very emphatically stated. You don't have just some kind of life. You've got the life of Jesus Christ Himself. The eternal life. The resurrection life. The inbreathed life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life, the highest life, the uncreated life. Again, the burden of God in Genesis is that life would be manifested out of that death, chaotic situation on the earth. We see there in Deuteronomy, God wants His people to live, come out of Egypt, come out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the Good Land, so you can live. And prosper, I come to give you life. We see in Ezekiel, the bones, a death situation, a scattered situation, a confused situation. And God says, my heart is that the bones would live. They'll bear my testimony and be recovered completely because of my spirit that's going to move inside of them. On the day of resurrection, the Lord comes to a bunch of zealots, a bunch of fearful folk, folk who've been very religious, folk who are dismal failures. And instead of giving them a lecture as to how to do better, how we can persevere better, how we could have prayed through the night better, He says, hey, peace to you. All your failures, peace. Get over it. Stop worrying about how you denied me and betrayed me, and ran from me, and deserted me. Just peace to you. All that inward storm, and confusion, and guilt, and condemnation. Peace. Now, receive my Spirit. And He breathes into the disciples like God Almighty breathed into Adam. Isn't that beautiful? It's an exact repeat of the same story. It shows us the burden of God. In Acts, He is the one that gives life. Now, Paul is there in Athens to intellectual folk. He's presenting this picture of God. And if I was there, Silly me would have presented God as He's the one that can clear up all the answers of the earth. He's the one in whom is all the knowledge. He's the one that can explain everything. He's the one that is intellectual and has all revelation. This would be more congruent with the, the mind and heart of an Athenian. Are you with me? And Paul is like bypassing all of this. He says, you know what? Your greatest need is life. The eternal, resurrected, indwelling life. In First John, if you have this life, you have the life. It's the heart of God that man would live. Actually, go to 1 Corinthians 15 before we wrap up in Revelation. There is a contiguous theme throughout the entire biblical record. And it's the heart of God that life would be your experience. So as we talk about the Christian life, I know y'all want to know how to read the Bible. How do I evangelize? How do I give away all my money? How do I go die, martyrate? <laughs> how do I lay down my life? How do I pray? How do we cast out devils? Francois, please teach us now the deliverance steps. Hey, we're going to get there, okay? Well, life... Life, in that life of God, is everything that you need. The commentary here in our Bibles often describes God as the all-inclusive everything. And that's what Paul was hinting at in Acts 17. Y'all's gods constantly needs offerings and sacrifices, and my God does not. He's all-inclusive. He doesn't need a thing. In fact, He gives. He's not the receiving God. He's the giving God. Notice here in 1 Corinthians 15, this beautiful verse describing again the heart of God, the way of God, the burden of God, is so that you can live. Notice verse 45. And so also it is written, the first man, Adam, he became a living soul. But that last Adam, he became a life-giving spirit. Context here, much deeper than I have time to explain right now. But again, something of the heart of God is seen here. I want life to be the testimony of God on this earth. When we pray, as it is in heaven, so let it be on this earth. There's a lot in heaven going on. But the greatest thing that God wants to be reflected into this earth, that is the reality of heaven, is that God lives, God doesn't die. And man here is to reflect that. It's the greatest issue in God's heart. And I notice, lastly, Revelation 21. Let's start at verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And the sea is no more. In typology, we know that sea, the oceans, represent death. In the beginning stages there of earth's history, the entire earth became baptized in water, a type of death. And then out of that, the land was manifested. The Spirit of God brought forth life, and man stood on the land, which represent Christ. The waters represent death. So you see the heart of God here in the new creation. It's that death would play no more part, life would reign. In verse 2, I saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And by the way, there is the exact interpretation of what the New Jerusalem is all about. It's not a city, the entire book of Revelation is a type and shadow in a picture uh, type of narrative. It's not a city of gold. It's all symbolic, it's typified, it's signified. But here is exactly the interpretation. Out of God comes the bride of God for the Son of God. Remember, you and I were born out of God, were we not? Only that which comes out of God can match God, kind after his own kind. The church is not something on this of this earth and then can join Christ. See Christ came out of God, out of the heavens. So does the church. You and I are born from the heavens. Amen. Amen. So the church as the bride comes out of God, therefore we can match God according to His kind. That's the exact interpretation. Is this is a picture of the blending, the marriage, the coming together of God and man. That is, God and His bride. And I heard a loud voice out of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And He will tabernacle with them, and they will be His peoples. God has been hanging out with angels for a very long time. And He's like, I'm done. I love man. I want to dwell with man. And at that time, it will be explained to us why we are so valuable. Right now, we have to believe it by faith. You and I, we want to hang out with angels. God says, no, people. So I submit to you, and He says, love one another, I think He means it. Because this is where His love is. This is where His passion is. I think when God means get along and forgive and live at peace with one another, I think we need to pay attention to that a little bit. We all want to have visions of angels and be raptured up there and hang out with angelic beings. God's like, I'm done with them. I'm going to come down to where you are. I want to dwell with man. My passion, my heart, my burden is for man. I think that's beautiful, saints. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. There's a picture of oneness. Verse 4, And He will wipe away... Every tear from their eyes. In other words, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more disappointment. God comes and tends to the needs of man. You and I want to go find aliens on other planets? God is like, hey, I want to come and get involved in every aspect of man. Dwell with man, be with man. He says here, And death will be no more. This is the heart of God, that the sea stops. Death stops. Man lives. Tear, sorrow, stops. In fact, it says here, Nor will there be sorrow, or crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So my attempt this morning is just to give you a snapshot is that the entire heart of God is consumed with the issue of life. So when you and I say, Jesus died so that I can have eternal life, we say it almost so casually, so in passing, so, ugh, we get eternal. Y'all, we were given an enormous gift, which is not just a kind of a condition we're going to live in. It's a nature that was given to us. You were not just given a kind of a condition out there that's warm and fuzzy and cozy with golf courses called eternal life. Mm -hmm. Mansions and Ferraris and where all your wishes come to pass. You were not given just a kind of a condition. Eternal life, that life that God breathed into man, you actually received. The essence of God, which is Spirit, Light, Love, Life, and Eternity. It's the nature of God. When He breathed into man, when Christ breathed into man, you receive the essence of God, not just a kind of a condition that will be over there. You receive the Spirit, which is of life. You receive the light of life. You receive the indwelling love of God. You receive life itself. And you receive the nature of that life, which is uncreated. It's eternal. That's what we're going to discuss. Because the day that you got born again, you received eternal life. And by the engine of that eternal life, you will live the Christian life.